Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. So I, I have a, I have a philosophy, I have a theory. Okay, so I'm still not convinced that Brent Reeves isn't working double undercover. What is, what's that called? To bust me. Is that called? Okay, something? So, is there a name for that where you're double undercover? I could undercover? tell you, but you know what would happen. Oh, It'd be geez. triple undercover if you lied to him about it. <laughs> so Brent used to do undercover work for the for multiple long, a couple long, well, state police. What was it? I'm not at liberty to discuss that with you, sir. Okay, so Brent used to <laughs> Lieutenant, do... Lieutenant, we'll talk later. All right. So Brent used to do undercover work. When Brent met me years and years ago, he called me, and it was kind of suspicious. And he was like, hey, I really like what you're doing. He did what Russ Arthur did to, you know, the guy he was after. Played to his ego. Now, he would, was like, I would really... you say that that was suspicious, or maybe he has a guilty conscience? Well, I think everything Brent does is suspicious. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. So he calls me, and I'm like, who is this guy? Yada, yada. And finally, I meet up with him. We become friends. To this day, I still think he's probably a double undercover agent. But his plan is finally coming to real fruition because he finally (laughs) helped me gain, you know, a position in the outdoor space where I have a podcast. And then... He helped me become comfortable enough that on a podcast, I told every illegal thing I've ever done. Mm. 
Oh. Did you? Then he orchestrates. He's like, hey, Clay, you ought to, you ought to invite a game warden out to your house. <laughs> and then here we have the game and fish. So I'm waiting for a raid at any moment. And this it'll be cool that it'll be on a live podcast. Also, bad Tim. boys, bad boys. Well, what you gonna do? Tim. <laughs> Tim has been working for us as well. Tim the dog. Yep. Tim uh, the squirrel dog. Deep cover. Okay. We do have a special guest guest with us, Lieutenant Epp Fletcher yep. from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Yeah. Welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Super stoked to be here today. We heard yeah. that you're gonna sing a, a special. So when I uh, yeah, I, I said they needed to sing a game warden that could uh sing and play music. Uh they didn't tell you that? Uh, no. <laughs> Can you Gosh. clog dance too? Because we're looking for some cloggers. Yeah, we, we brought you here to entertain. We need us. some cloggers. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's great I, to have you. So yeah, we're gonna good. we're gonna talk with uh Lieutenant Fletcher about some game warden stuff, which is gonna be really cool. Introductions. Brent Reeves. Here. Is right. Good. Good to see Brent. Beard's looking good. Summertime beard. Yeah, absolutely. These overalls look like they've been washed about four or five times. They which are. Which is pretty good for you. you which got a is new a pair. Direct correlation to how many times I've worn them. Mm hmm. Anybody keeping up or keeping score? How many yep. pairs are you up to now? I actually bought, man, we had a store open up just down the street yesterday in Atwoods. Like a, I don't know if y'all got them everywhere, mm -hmm. but like a farm store, like a t tractor supply. And they Except had overalls, and they had overalls on sale in there. Oh, mm. I come out. Are you a red house overall guy? Roundhouse, roundhouse, yeah, roundhouse. They, they sell in Atwoods. Yeah, that's what they sell there, and they're made in America. And you had Liberties on last week, didn't well, you? Well, we all have to. We all have to. Okay, make concessions. We work our okay. way up to the okay. top. Okay, and Roundhouse is the top. The key. only overalls I used to made wear in America. Key. Remember Key? Yeah, I do. I had mm. some of those. So I got so, me a pair and, and my grandson a pair. Nice. Looking good. And you're wearing real shoes today. Yeah. Um, to your left, Josh Spillmaker. Fresh Josh. off the boat. Yeah, fresh off the boat. Josh has been in Hawaii. Oh, my. Did some Just fly fishing in Hawaii. Caught some really? smallmouth. Smallmouth bass <laughs> like we have here? We yeah. got those here. They were released back in the 20s. Really? That's and it was, them to get over there. I tell you what, it was crazy. I'm surprised they let them carry that on a plane. Having a little Ziploc bag. <laughs> yeah, and then That's illegal, it in. isn't it, Lieutenant Fletcher? <laughs> Could be something there. <laughs> it's wild walking through Hawaii in waste deep water where there's no predators and nothing dangerous you don't have to worry about snakes and you can or see bugs or ticks it, it was amazing. a it was a How weird thing ticks and chiggers over there i don't know there but, are places in this world that don't have ticks and jiggers i mean because i've always seen movies false. where they're like having having picnics in the grass and i'm always like oh gosh hollywood and i exactly. said that one time and someone's like no we don't have ticks well, and jiggers uh, where up, we're at now up north the 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 worst hunt i've been on in, in terms of ticks was in montana and really? who was with you you were with me and it was the worst i mean i've never seen so many ticks but they don't have chiggers there you but, would, so i like yeah. what you're saying though so no yeah, water you just, moccasins, you just no go walking heads. through the jungle and lots of chickens there's no there's there. there's feral chickens everywhere because there's no predators and hogs there's no 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 predators there's feral chickens in the walmart parking lot they're everywhere wow. it's a wild thing it was a wild place to go to. Do the chickens we come to you? They probably would. And I, I kept asking people. I said, "Now, do people just snatch these chickens up and eat them?" They like, like chicken. no. Ugh. I'm like, they're chickens. Mm. Yeah, but that that chicken's probably been eating cigarette butts. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, but there's just wild chickens everywhere. Hogs eating wow. anything. And hog hog sign all over the jungle. Really? Yeah. You didn't see any hogs though. Didn't see there's any hogs. Of, there's a lot they of bow hunting that goes on in Hawaii. You know, Renella did a 
episode of Meat Eater. Yeah, in Hawaii. I saw it. It was, it was really good. One. Yeah, they have they have blacktail and axis deer there too. They got turkeys in Hawaii too. Do they? Didn't yeah, see man. any turkeys. I think uh, Rios. Oh, really? I think so. Or Miriams. It's one of the one of the two hmm. transplanted. That's pretty yeah. cool. Oh, you can cool. hunt them. They have a hunt fly fishing under a hundred foot waterfall is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Wow, the pictures look cool. beautiful. Yeah. To your left, Gary Newcomb, the one Good and the only. You, Good to be here. And then to my dad's left, Misty. Hey, my wife. Hi there. Good to have you, Misty. Good to be here. Hey, I got. I, I got to tell you, I actually when I I didn't tell Dad what I was going to do on this podcast, <laughs> and uh, and I called him after I thought maybe he'd listen to it, and I said. You probably didn't like that one very much, did you? I thought I thought he might be like, uh, "Why'd you go tell all this stuff?" Yeah. But what'd you say, Dad? I said I loved it. I mean, I do the same thing. But when I do something really stupid, <laughs> which I have a propensity to do that at Not times, game laws. <laughs> no, but anything. He, I mean, I just don't go to all my buddies and go something really low IQ I did. I mean, that, that's between me and me. Some things you just don't yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard you tell stories like looking down the barrel of that gun. Well, okay, okay. There's yeah. no sense in telling that. We're kind of talking about two different things. Let's so, get back to yourself. So Dad thinks I over-disclose about stuff that makes me look stupid. Right. Not like the other so, makes you look honest. And so I like when, that. So yeah. when I came out about, you know, I these it. two or three things that happened. So yeah. I, was, I was actually kind of surprised about that. Thanks, Dad. It's, it's your mother coming out. <laughs> yeah, we may uh, we may bring Juju in here later, and I, I may do a formal apology to Juju for, for, for your all sins. the bad things mm-hmm. I've done. Um, okay, moving right along. I kind of um, regretted all of the, uh, you know, the end of the last Barry Surrender. I said a lot of real nice things about you being upright, good, <laughs> honest, and Let I kind of re- when you listen to this when you listen to this podcast, where you're like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who are and you? And when I saw you're the game the warden pull into our front drive, I was like, Well, <laughs> there goes the game. <laughs> do you so, Lieutenant Fletcher? Do you uh, when you pull up in your truck? Do you do you sense people's nervousness around you? Uh, I mean, like, what's it like being a game warden? Yeah, I mean, I think any time that you uh, you come in contact with people, you know, you either get one of just a handful of responses would be, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and this is the first time I've ever been checked by a game warden. Right. And I think you you pick up on some honesty in people when they make those type of comments. You know, I also think you do get the surprises, like, hey, man, where'd you come from? You know, they're like, this guy's a ghost. How did he show up in my domain? Yeah. You know, or this, yeah. this officer's a ghost. And uh, I, I think those are probably the two more popular responses. Yeah. Um, a lot of times just by rolling up in that game and fish truck, that law enforcement, conservation law enforcement truck, people sit there and they're like, man, is this officer ever going to get out of that truck? Their windows are tinted. I don't know what's going on in there. <laughs> yeah. What are they working on? You know, it, mm. usually you get you encounter you encounter that type of contact in the field when you're responding to a call to service from an adjacent landowner or someone that witnessed something off the side of the road, and you're sitting there in the truck and you're doing the business of the day, which is trying to find as much information and start an investigation on a case or whatever. And sometimes, you know, people, you know, they're just like, "Man, when why did it take you so long to get out of that truck?" You know, their their nerves are killing them. They can't. So what are you doing out. in the truck? Yeah, that's I'm it. I'm dying to know. Yeah, that's what you're doing is you're sitting there on your radio and you're 
you know, running your cell phone and, and you're trying to gather all the information I that see. you've got I so see. far on something just as simple as, you know, a neighbor shot a deer on the other side of the fence and they forgot to call their buddy who's the landowner. And all of a sudden the landowner's driving by their property and they see somebody out there in a piece of hunter orange on their property and they're like, I've got somebody out here hunting on my land. And, you know, a lot of those things, you're, you're putting those, those pieces, limited pieces of information together. Yeah. Um, it's funny, just that type of instance alone, you'll see, uh, you'll see a lot of those situations resolve themselves by the time you actually show up. Mm. Usually they realize, Hey, I do know so-and-so, you know, they're two houses over and yeah. you know, they just forgot to make the call. That's just, you know, one of several type of things, but yeah, but those are probably some of the more common you know, first encounters with, yeah. with the public is that's yeah. kind of what you see. So are you in the field? Like, is that, is that your primary? Yeah. So, so I have as a Lieutenant, okay, I have field responsibilities. Okay. You know, I, I have enforcement duties assigned to me in a County that I'm assigned to and the further part, furthest part of Northwest Arkansas. And, um, but I also have administrative roles which is more of my day-to-day stuff mm-hmm. where I'm an assistant supervisor of a district of 15 officers in six counties in the northern part of Arkansas, you know. Okay. So so it's a it's a balance for sure. Yeah. You know, I would say probably about 60/40 administrative and 40% I get out in the field and be with our folks and be with the public. You okay. know, that's a that's a huge part of our success for our enforcement division the game fisher in Arkansas is the contacts that the wildlife officers make out in the field with the public. There's no doubt. Yeah. What would you say, I asked this to Austin, what would you say is the philosophy of law enforcement, it, just in general terms, I get, you know, because I don't, I don't really even know what question I'm asking, right. but I know that you guys have a mission, you guys have a philosophy for how you enforce the law and how sure. you interact with people. I don't Just talk to me a sure. little bit about that. So, you know, I think, I think in the podcast, you know, the director was spot on when he said, you know, we really focus on and drill down on those major violations. Right. And, and that's true to who we are as an agency and as a division. When I came to work 12 years ago, just like it is today, and it will be the same 20 years after I've retired. Yeah. You know, the, the compliance stuff, you know, I think that gives us as a group of officers, conservation law enforcement officers, wildlife officers, game wardens, whatever affiliation you're, you fall under and what state you fall under, you know, that we are regulatory agencies, right? And so our, our primary job is to go out there and ensure that the general public, the hunting and fishing public are complying with what those regulations are. And so, you know, I don't know that the philosophy is as fluid as some of the strategies that we might have as an enforcement division or as an agency in response to progress with technology or population growth or as you like to call it maybe this crossover in these urban to rural areas where you've got a lot of the traditional rural type approaches to hunting and sportsman type outdoors activities are now getting squeezed out a little bit with more urban urban yeah. settings and so yeah. we ad- we adapt and we adjust with the times just like everybody does and any kind of segment of law enforcement or, or any industry that you're affiliated yeah. with. Conservation law enforcement's no different. What's a what's a big <clears throat> violation? Like, yeah, like serious sure. violation? Give us an example. Right. So uh, you know, I look at it 
I'm a, I'm a community driven guy. And so, you know, I take ownership of what happens in my community. I want to be present in my community. And so I think if you look at it through my lens, what I consider to be a big violation or a major violation would be something that draws in towards public safety, a threat to public safety. And that gives you the road hunting situations, the mm-hmm. night hunting situations, what Renella called it, what Jack lighting, Jack lighting. right? Which is, which I, I mean, I'm an Arkansas guy. <laughs> yeah. That's a term that's new to me, but spotlighting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I corrected Yes, you're yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> what he means is spotlighting. Right. Yeah. So, Yankee. <laughs> so, you know, anything that as a guy or a gal, that's a wildlife officer in their County or in their community, that is a genuine threat to the safety of the people that they share the space with. Those things take priority. Yeah. The over-harvesting of wildlife, um, you know, those those kind of things with intent on the violator, right, right. you know, th- those things are egregious, and there's no place for that. Yeah. And so we try to establish major investigations, undercover operations, special Is operations. Is that stuff still going on right now? I mean, like, so the individuals and that we talked about in this past podcast, I mean, were people that were killing, you know, 20, let's just say 20 plus turkeys a year, you know, right. back when we had a lot of turkeys. Like, are people still doing that? So I, I'm going to answer that, yes, they are still doing that. I, I've had some conversations with some other supervisors across the state this last week in a different setting, and and we've all kind of come to the consensus, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but just some of the conversations I've had, is we've all kind of come to this this consensus of, you know, maybe there is a little bit of a decline in that, you know, just super egregious type of negligence in mm-hmm. over harvesting a game with intent of like hunting out a season or just doing it because you want to cut the horns off of a deer and leave the meat, you know, that kind of thing. It, it still is occurring, but I don't know the prevalency rate is as high as what it once was. With the exception, one thing that I have seen over the last 10 years and and I think a lot of it has to do with probably location because throughout my career, I've been based along this western, northwestern border of Arkansas. So we share territory with other states, Missouri and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of work with other state conservation agencies where these more major, more serious violations have occurred across state lines, but it's our Kansans that are doing them. Oh, really? Yes. And so they'll ask us to assist with investigations. Hmm. Um, you know, getting a getting a deer tag in Kansas mm, is yeah. a big deal. It's a very big deal. And it's a very calculated system, and it's a fair system. But just to investigate some of my own countrymen and women, if you will, here in Arkansas, on violations for nothing more than what extent they would go to to try to manipulate a system in Kansas so they can kill a Kansas buck deer legally, which is not legal. You know, those are the kind of things that we're kind of seeing show its head. Um, And I, and I can tell you, what would be a, how would they do that? I mean, I'm not sure. And, and I'll, I'll explain, you know, with leaving names and faces aside. It doesn't have to be that big, but maybe they would, some, I mean, like, yeah, give me just a simple example of sure. how. So I um, had an investigation uh, with a subject that 
lived in a small rural town in central Arkansas. I get contacted by Kansas Parks and Wildlife about an individual that they had been investigating for the better part of a year and a half, almost two full deer seasons now. And what started out as something of a simple check of their current license status, meaning are they a resident in Arkansas and they have license privileges as a resident of Arkansas, or are they a resident of Kansas? Okay. Therefore, they're entitled to have res- a state license. Correct, resident license and the privileges that thereof in the state of Kansas. Well, what started out as just that simple check to see, and we do that with other states. They'll, they'll call us in Oklahoma or Missouri and, and try to yeah. check and say, well, hey, we don't recognize dual citizenship. To, to my knowledge, nobody does. No state does. But for us, it's the same thing. We just want to make sure that your primary residence in Arkansas or it's in Kansas in this case. So what started out as that evolved into this timeline and building this investigation against an individual that had for almost greater than a decade cheated the state of Kansas out of licenses of landowners that had turned their tags, their landowner tags, a privilege given to them as a citizen of the state of Kansas, back into a regional office or a licensing center or a check station. And this individual from No Name, Arkansas, was paying under the table to a a certified agent of the state of Kansas, not a law enforcement agent, but someone who was a an employee of the state of Kansas under the table to take those tags that are issued in someone else that turned them in and use them in his own name. And to make it even furthermore, he was passing them out to his buddies. Wow. And so this, these are the kind of, yeah, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty wild of conservation crimes that, that I'm seeing that we're seeing across the state of Arkansas and throughout the Southern United States. Cause it's, I would imagine the state of Kansas and the state of Colorado and Missouri and New Mexico, they're seeing their citizens, the people from their states, violate things in Arkansas. And we've got a special investigatives unit of our enforcement division that does the exact same thing when these things happen out of state. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have an do you have another example of an egregious wildlife violation? <sighs> Man, egregious. The one Austin talked about was someone just shot. Well, yeah. That was... Yeah, just... I didn't know people still do that. I mean, what? What are you talking about? Where he shot the... They shot his deer from the highway. Oh. Oh, Oh, yeah. Just left him dead. So, you know, I'll I'll share with you one that's kind of still hot off the press, if you will, but it's all been adjudicated, gone through court, so I feel comfortable sharing it with you. But we had had a recent investigation that was... um, held by some of our officers here locally here in um in the northern part of the state and they started investigating this gentleman greater than three years ago now for what started out as just a what i would call just a simple call to service where a complainant calls in and says hey shots were fired after dark uh i got a vehicle description they didn't get a license plate but they got us enough information to where the officers could document on paper do a good incident report and say, okay, we've got something here and we'll keep an eye out on it. You know, that's always key for our officers to let those, those people know, the individuals know that call in from their communities. Hey, we're, 
we're going to start working this. And if you see or hear anything that's suspicious, give us a call back. This mm-hmm. was no different. Mm-hmm. Well, within a matter of weeks to a month, you know, another call in that same general vicinity by another private landowner saw this same type of activity almost with the same time of day, same location, same vehicle description. And so that was really enough for officers to start working on a full investigation. And we really had to drill down on this and start giving it some attention through the use of a decoy set or mm. working non-traditional hours in, you know, in an area that we would have to conceal vehicles and try to see if there's anything that we could physically see. Nothing materialized that year. Well, the next year, as soon as the phone started ringing, if you will, for those officers in this same location, they're like, okay, we're going to get out in front of this. And so about that same time that this all started to occur, an officer in Northwest Arkansas gets another call from someone who wants to be an anonymous on Mm. this particular activity, which correlates with the same chain of events that had happened the year prior and everything. Does that tip you off to anything when somebody wants to be anonymous? I mean, it's somebody that maybe has a personal relationship with this person or. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, that's no secret. You know, a lot of times it's, it's friends, it's it's Monday morning quarterback talk, it's around the water cooler showing a picture of a big deer or a turkey that was harvested a couple of days before season. You know, sometimes your closest friends and family members, you know, whether it's an ethical standard or it's just something that they feel like is, is just wrong or they're sick of you showing them those pictures or describing that event, <laughs> and, and, and they just had enough of so it. And so that's sure. a legal right that is afforded by the game and fish that you can call anonymously and no questions will be asked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we've got a, we've got a database. I and did a, that a couple sure. times on Brent. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, maybe Josh and I will do that yeah. every Monday morning on clay. <laughs> I've told you all the bad things I've done already. I mean, just, it, it doesn't have to be factual. You know, we can just, just call for the record, that just... was one brim basket and I was 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anonymous. Yeah. So the, Anonymous complainant, just just a kind of something real quick on that. So if an individual calls in and, and an officer ends up doing a report, runs an investigation, it's their information is kept is kept in a database and they're issued like a series of a of a letter and a number. And that's okay. how it's recorded and documented in the report and that's how so it's you presented could get in court. Back in touch with the person. Absolutely, but it completely stays anonymous. Gotcha. And so gotcha. we protect their their yeah. rights to that autonomy. So so anyway, so in this instance, uh, subject calls in and says, hey, I know this stuff is going on, and what you need to know is this is who's doing it, and this is what they're trying to accomplish. And when I first got the information from one of our officers, it really took me aback. You know, my dad, he, he's, he's 79 years old, and, and we share these stories about my career in law enforcement, my career as a conservation law enforcement officer, and he's always says, Hey, nothing surprises me with your job. And, you know, this is coming from a guy who was an Arkansas state trooper for greater than 30 years in the state of Arkansas. And I'm like, mm. you know, you look up to your dads, right? And so for him to say that and for me to get caught off guard at times, man, I'm just like, wow, this is new territory, mm. you know? So this was no different. We walked into this situation and the officers reported it says, Hey, this, this individual owns a small business has vehicles as a part of their small business. They have employees. They've got a shop. They do 
construction like work or work around in that industry. And so therefore they have access. And to make a long story short, what this individual had done is over the course of years, he had gone out in the mornings during deer season, legal season, which I find kind of ironic because what he was doing was far from legal. And he would harvest deer, shooting them from the road. And sometimes he'd have somebody in the truck with him when he did it, and sometimes he wouldn't. But where it got so interesting was, is he went out and bought license for his employees and brought them in to this type of activity, and they would go out behind him and pick up his deer for him and Mm. tag it. And they would take it back to his facility and they would process it there. And so once we had this chain of events Mm. and we started putting together this investigation, and now you've got this, this gold brick that somebody just gave us in this information through this confidential informant, we had something to work off of. And so we reached back out to the confidential informant, got the information on when this type of activity was prevalent, when it was more predictable to, to run into it. We set up a little sting operation with our officers and a deer, deer decoy. And within a matter of 48 hours of that activity, wow. we, we caught this guy red-handed shooting our deer decoy. And uh, wow. yeah, it's, it's real interesting. Wow. Estimate, what was the estimate on how many deer that guy was? So I believe he was issued citations for seven deer that he failed to check or tag in his own name. In addition to what we had evidence of, physical evidence of, was an additional nine deer, I believe, for those other individuals that check deer in their names even though they weren't engaged was he, in was he after horns was he a big buck hunter you know i think that's probably how it started but you know when we went in to his shop and started looking at all the meat and stuff you know it was packaged as if it was for consumption you know there wasn't a lot of terrible waste you know so i think it probably just turned into you know this is something that i just do I don't know if it was some kind of release he had to have or whatever this this fix yeah. was. Kind of like junior um, high girls with shoplifting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's like so, a thing. They just yeah. a bunch of them just yeah. like to do it. And, and I'll and I'll speak <laughs> I'll speak to this, and I don't I, I don't mean to kind of control this conversation because that's not what I'm going to try to do. But it it brings me to another point about the end of the podcast, and you showed in your moment of vulnerability about shooting a squirrel right and you get checked by the wildlife officer yep. and he and he keys or he or she keys on a speck of blood right yeah yeah and he what he tell you to do he said clay you need to write about it yeah when it was all when it and, was all done yeah and and i'm i'm going to tell you and i've only been doing this for a little over a decade but i bet in that moment clay felt better because what he thought he had done wrong and then he got that approval from the wildlife officer to go out and write about it and speak openly about it. When we run into these serious violators, the ones that aren't even on that same level, your, your violation is way down here on the floor. And the stuff that we're talking about today is the top of the ceiling. When we run into that type of encounter and there's closure there, you get this sense from these individuals 
that they're almost very thankful and appreciative of mm. you catching them. Interesting. Hmm. Because they've done it for so long. They're tied up in it in so many ways that hmm. they're just almost beside them th- themselves thankful. Hmm. That they had this encounter. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, very I can say that. I, it, that correlates a lot with the undercover work I was doing. I've seen folks. We try to catch them for years selling dope, and we finally do. And and they, it's like, hey, you know, that was my job to catch him. That was his job to sell it. I won that day, and they, and now they say they don't have to worry about the next knock on the door. I, I get what you're saying there, because they're all the time. That guy's out there doing that. He's he's got to look for you Absolutely. and make sure that you ain't coming around the corner or something. So it, it's probably a burden lifted mm-hmm. off of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years, made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives And the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better 
and lasts longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. <laughs> Dad, what, what questions do you have? Well, <clears throat> have you ever written a citation to Gary Newcomb? <laughs> I do not believe so. He's talking He's talking all that trash and keeps bringing my name up. I ain't never got hey, a I've, ticket. I've never... I've never seen this guy break the law. You got a ticket though. I, I ain't know. never got one. I know that's why. That's why so, I told everybody. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> you just never got caught. <laughs> that is not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about who got a ticket and who didn't. Uh, well, I, I, all that's very, very interesting. I, I love to hear that stuff. Uh, it takes me back to my childhood. <laughs> uh, a little bitty guy. And, and, you know, we're all kind of innately evil you know we're taught that you know you we have know, a propensity a kid, to make a, a wrong bitty, decision a little bitty kid is gonna steal a toy i mean they don't go up and hand you a, your his toy i mean they're gonna take your toy i mean that's the way that's our nature so as a little bitty guy wrote raised up in a very sterile honest home my big sister got me stealing stuff out of a little store that lives in the neighborhood, Beverly, of all people. And, and so... He's never told anyone. Today on Dr. Phil. Let's all hold hands. We'll, some, we'll have a little moment here. I got something really cool. These little teeth, you know, full of Kool-Aid. And, and I mean, I was smart enough to know, don't go in the house with this. So I crawled under a trailer, a little... Little, little boy trailer. And I'm down there chewing on this thing, thinking, man, this ain't worth it. You know, it's a whole lot easier just to play by the rules and not have, have all this worry. <laughs> and I find that so true in life, and you just described it better than I've ever heard it. But, hey, the, the simplest way to lead this life is to pretty much play by the rules. Mm. You know, I mean, there's rules yeah. that, that society allows us to break, that the penalty's not too great, like driving up here today. Mm. I mean, speeding, I, speeding. you know, uh, when I run a stop sign, I go, hey, man, I just save my brakes. I save fuel. I'm saving the economy. I mean, really, I mean, we justify it. Yeah, I kill a big deer and I go, well, you know, I'm feeding the family. I'm, you know, so we all live in our own little bubble and it's all OK because I'm doing it. I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, well my point, you lost well, me at the last part there. I'm kind of two stories together. But yeah, yeah. As a little kid, I say follow the rules but still even in that environment we all break rules right but there are rules that we have made the decision on not a law enforcement officer I, i've gone okay stop sign suggestion you know <laughs> yeah. killing people 
That's a law. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. we, we all play yeah. these so games. So far, I'm, I'm well, two for two saying, with Gary Newcomb. You're saying what, what Steve Rinella was <laughs> saying is that he, now looking back in his childhood, yeah. realized that his dad had a very strict code that they lived by. And and now he looks back at it and is like, where did this come from? Like, we could do this, but we couldn't do this. We could do that, but we couldn't do this. But he would have been real mad if we'd have done this. And Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you'd you'd be surprised how many people have brought up to me speeding inside of all these conversations about about outlaws and breaking laws that everybody goes back to speeding well you said something too that i didn't agree with you you said yourself was a poacher because you dropped your orange i was going to ask him about that that don't make you a poacher that makes you a violator you violated poachers what killing an animal that, that was such a wild deal like i never in my life have not wore orange i know so many people that intentionally don't wear orange or take it off when they're in the tree right, which right. here in arkansas that's illegal right other states you can't i think in mississippi once you're in the tree stand you can t- don't quote me on that look that up but <laughs> there's places where orange laws are different um yeah what what would have been a situation like that like walking to the tree stand and i didn't say it on the podcast i was on my land bow hunting matter. during i know it doesn't matter bow hunting during muzzleloader season you Dropped the orange vest, had the orange hat, just keep hunting, just like, well. You was already in violation by not wearing it out there. In the dark? You were, Do you have a weapon? Are you I, in game cover? Am I right, Lieutenant? No, that's you by the letter of the law. Right. Yeah. You know, your intent was to go hunting that day. Well, listen. Under, under periods of darkness or not, really, the, letter, gotta, the letter of the law sure. would say I that you need you. to do that. Now, <laughs> did, did Clay violate a law by the letter when he shot this world-class buck? That's how I envisioned it in this. I'm not going to tell you which one it okay. was. Because okay. so, it was confiscated. <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's good. It was that one. <laughs> but, you know, I, I see that as, you know, your intent – Right was to wear your hunter orange that day, or otherwise you wouldn't have had it with you, right? Right. But had a wildlife officer made contact with you out in the field after you had taken that deer and you had not had your hunter orange on, how would you have talked yourself through that situation with that encounter? And that, and I think that's a lot of times when, you know, the director mentioned last week, and not to get us too far off into the weeds here, but he mentioned last week about, you know, a lot of people just think, hey, our officers are out there to do nothing more than just write tickets. Right. I think that our officers are out there to have a duty to our communities, but to also educate the public on things that they probably should know, but they haven't taken the time to truly understand. You take the totality of the circumstances. You know, for me, when I'm out in the field and I come across a compliance violation like someone not wearing hunter orange when I check them in a tree stand or walking out from a field, for me, it's a three-pronged litmus test. You know, what's their age? What was their intent when they left the house that day? And by, by their violation, how have they impacted the resource? Right. So by Clay leaving his vest or it inadvertently falling down on the ground, how are you impacting the resource that day? What was your intent? Did you mean for it to be left on the ground? Right. 
And so as a wildlife officer, that's our officer discretion is probably the biggest duty that we have yeah, out sure. in the field Absolutely. on a day-to-day basis. So, so just so I'm following you. Sure. Like me not having Hunter's Orange didn't give me an advantage that day. Like, is that what you're saying? Correct. About how it affected Correct. the reason? Absolutely. So, and, and, and I absolutely, yeah. So it's, it, that's what you would have said. It's like, it wasn't like I accidentally spilled a pile of corn on the ground on public <laughs> land right. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Again. Uh, so accidentally soaked yourself in deer I like what you said about again. intent. Sure. Because, I mean, yeah, my intent <clears throat> entirely was to wear orange that day. I'd do sure. it every time I hunt. Sure. Uh, so that would have factored in. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you take in the totality of all of it, and then the officer has that discretion of like, hey, man, you know, you know, the code book says you got to have your orange on, but you're telling me that you dropped it on the ground and I can visibly see that it's a hundred yards or a hundred steps from your stand and this deer's in the opposite direction. So it was probably during a period of darkness. You climbed the stand, you got up there in the heat of the moment, the sun was rising. Sure. The right thing might've been for you to come back out of your stand during that peak activity time and put the orange on, but you, you made that decision, right? And so our officers, I think any wildlife officer, any conservation officer, any game warden across the United States, I think that's how they operate on a daily basis is they say, hey, guy, guy made a mistake, but, his, but it wasn't intentional. Yeah. And he didn't really have a direct impact on the resource that day by not wearing his hunter orange. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I say you do the crime, you pay the time, Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> Turn yourself in, Jack. Uh, do you remember that, Dad? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you. I told me. you about yeah. it. You were mad at me. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's hash this out. Let's, let's have this conversation on the very no, right Hey, your comment about it, you say the right thing to do would, would have been to, to get, come down 25 feet and go back. I understand that. That's your job. That is your job. Yep. But our job is to kill deer. Sure. <laughs> but the, the point I'm making no. is it would have been a lot more dangerous to come down that tree again, walk back where you could be shot at peak time. You, you know, well, that, so that you, was, and you made that point. I mean, that, and, and, and I, I didn't think s- that. S- I mean, that wasn't the thought right, process right, in my sure. mind. But like if you were, if you were standing in a, if you were, yeah, I mean, I was just trying to say the law is designed to protect us. We're yes. using hunter's orange to protect us. Absolutely. You know, I was kind of, what I like to do in those scenarios is just paint all the different scenarios that make something a little more nuanced maybe than it, than it was, or, you know, maybe than, right. than you might think of it. Um, but yeah. Hey, I've got a question and I know intuitively that it's wrong, but I want to go back. <laughs> I mean, not for the question, but I, the story you told about the guy who was using his workers and getting licenses in their name, he's paying for hunting licenses. And I think there's probably just from a legal labor perspective, you know, there's some major issues as a boss and we should fire him just for that. But, but from a, as a non-hunter, like someone who I'm, I, I don't hunt a lot and I didn't grow up in a hunting family, explain to me, I know it is wrong, but explain to me why it's wrong. If you buy the licenses, and so there's enough licenses, and and we you can skip this. Do you remember when Tecumseh? <laughs> Am I embarrassing you right now? Left his wife because uh-huh. she didn't know how to pluck a turkey. 
I'm just thinking it might be. No, that's a great question. I mean, I'm really thinking it might. I think any of us could answer it, but we'll let. I'm just thinking that it might be a question that people have. Why? (laughs) And you're welcome to skip the question. And you and I will be uh, conversing later about that comment. No, I'm just teasing. No, I'm just, it's great. That's why I just think that some people might have that question. Like, he's buying the licenses. Like, how does it hurt? From a game and fish perspective, why is this bad? Because clearly we have the, the licenses to hand out and if you're if you're distributing licenses on the you're saying or, the goal of the game or a if you're goal distributing would be, animals you know if you're if you're making cap limits and things like that on the basis of how many licenses are bought and this guy legally buys a license the other obviously it's not good yeah let's see what, let's see yeah, what I, i'm gonna say there's there's a lot of moving parts there okay. you know when you when you look at regulation regulation says that that's being considered Lending license by definition. Okay. So what his intent was, was to purchase license from his own money, his own funds in the name of his employees. Those individuals were not active hunters. And so basically in theory, they were lending license, their tagging privileges Mm -hmm. because he was the one retaining the harvest. Mm -hmm. I think that, from the regulation standpoint, it's a it's very serious because the law clearly states how mm-hmm. in so many ways that was wrong. But I also think it's a it's a it's a very strong ethical dilemma on his part. Mm. And so I always look at it from my belief system is where your ethics and regulations intersect, you have an experience. And so for each of us, we have that own, our own experience out in the field, you know, when we're hunting or fishing or, you know, doing our recreational boating activities, whatever that is. But, but what were his, what were his ethics in that moment by doing that, Mm -hmm. knowing that his coworkers, the people that he had paid as employees didn't hunt, right? They weren't conservationists Mm -hmm. to my knowledge. And so that's where his ethics and the regulations came together, and I look at it as like, you know, what kind of experience is that for people when they do that with intent? Mm-hmm. And so I think all of us are in some ways responsible and accountable as being conservationists and sportsmen and, and hunters to that particular type of situation. And so when the agency says, hey, every person's allowed five or six tags now, right, no more than two bucks per year and, you know, four antlerless deer and you can take two in one zone and three in another or whatever that looks like, you know, those are based, calculated off of science, right? And so if you've got someone with intent that comes in and says, I've got 10 family members, none of them hunt. Right. And I'm going to over harvest on their They're not be- calculated on, into exactly our science exactly mm-hmm. on yeah. their behalf. I'm going to do a favor to whatever it is. You know, um, I think that probably kind of gets at the root of of what we would see is you know why it's not okay because they're really not when they set the limits. And I'm just thinking they're calculating how many hunters we have in the state, and, it's and sure. they, they didn't calculate harvest. those ten sure. family members, those ten employees. They're not calculating them, and so 
they he is and going over even if he purchased the license. If you think if license. everybody could do that, then essentially there would be no bag limits, right? Because mm-hmm. I could I'd just go find some guy down the street though. Sure. I could buy a tag for and right. use his tag, so I could, yeah. Could, and obviously he's lying. He's right. abusing his authority. Yeah. He, there's, he's you're, doing. You're just hearing us talk about hunter recruitment and right. buying tags exactly. that funds conservation. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you're like. And yeah, I'm just thinking if all the people, there's a lot of people who listen to your podcast who are not hunters specifically and might not, like I understand yeah. why, like this is what this guy's doing is lying and that's bad. Like right. on that level, it's wrong no matter what. Man, maybe I'm not the outlaw in this family. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was also thinking it, it's it's counterproductive to the, what's what's the term that you use for when... When the game belongs to the people, public trust. So it, oh, yeah. it public really trust doctrine. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it breaks that ethic because then someone just has the ability to go buy buy deer. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just going to go buy the ability to hunt, and I'll kill as many deer as I want. It's a it's a it's really an, an unethical and, and uh, it's a partial way to to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a com- completely yeah. Just what would you so I keep going back to this. This I'm kind of asking the same question, maybe over and over. But like, what, what, who are the most people doing damage to the resource in terms of poachers? Like, what, what's the kind of person? Because it's clear to me that probably mo a lot of your officer's time is spent with compliance. So you're at the boat dock checking people's license, sure. making sure they're wearing life jackets, sure. public safety stuff. During the deer season, you're cruising public land, checking a license, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, most of the violations inside of that are going to be compliance stuff like, do you have the right license? Do you, you know, are you wearing your hunter's orange? Stuff like this, mm-hmm. which is all important stuff. But then there's this other category of people, like we talked about, that leave the house with the intent to be serial lawbreakers that are just wearing out game populations. Sure. Um, I, I mean, maybe I just answered my own question, but like, who are those people and do we, well, I did ask you that question. Who, who are, who are the people that are the biggest, the biggest threat to wildlife? Right. I, I I'm going to look at it from an experience that I shared with my supervisor, our district captain in Northwest Arkansas. When I first had the opportunity to move back home from the Arkansas river Valley to Northwest Arkansas. And one of the first things that he said to me in this open meeting with other officers, and I was a young sergeant at the time, and uh, he said, you know, fish are a finite resource for the state of Arkansas. And I didn't really understand what he meant by the term finite resource. And he said it in a very common sense approach, which is how we operate as game wardens and wildlife officers, is we apply a lot of common sense to tactics and techniques and training and things. And he said, the fish are depleted at a much greater rate than what we can replace them at as an agency. And so I think our biggest challenge with poaching is if you take that same type of segment with fishing and you apply it out in the field with hunters in general that over harvest to the point where it carrying capacity gets depleted and harvest numbers significantly drop. You know, those are a, are a segment of poaching that we really have to be sensitive to and we have to pay attention to as wildlife officers is 
conservation law enforcement officers. You know, I think, I think the other thing, too, to consider is most of the southern United States now, uh, south central United States, is in this period of kind of the unknown when it comes to disease in cervids. Right. With the introduction of CWD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the prevalency that we have throughout the northern part of Arkansas and the now all the way over to the Boot Hill of Missouri and into Oklahoma. And you're starting to see research and studies being done in surrounding states. And and so when you have individuals that are uneducated or refuse to pay attention to the strategies and the science and the techniques that we're trying to do to manage a disease like chronic wasting disease and these type of things that are are prevalent through this northern band of the Ozarks and starting to spread their way south, is that, by definition, a new demographic of poaching? The individuals that, Mm, when you have... That spread, do stuff that might spread CWD. Correct, in the sense of... We have CW's, CWD zone baiting laws in this part of Arkansas now. And the regulation says, you know, after the 31st of December until the first day of September, you can't spread any bait on the ground with the intent to harvest right. wildlife or harbor wildlife, right? And the strategy is real simple because when you bring in a group of deer, right? right. And I'm no scientist by by trade, but I've I've been around to see it long enough is and haven't explained to me is when you bring around these deer and they have this communal type sure. of gathering, right? Yeah. Well then there's probability. And so I think I think we're in a new territory here. I really like that. Yeah. That's that's the kind of I didn't know what I was fishing for, but that's a great point. Is that you know with the with the threat C W D that that yeah maybe the guy that breaks the CWD laws is now the one that is really threatening the resource the most. And I know there's a lot of controversy on how CWD spreads and that's a whole other conversation, but, but yeah, that's, that's important because yeah, you kind of think of it like, uh, well, and, and I mentioned it to you on the phone the other day, but this terminology that I heard a lot of these now retired law enforcement game warden guys use Jimmy Martin used the term, Russ Arthur used the term, but old time poachers, which are just guys that are recreationally going out and killing more than their limit, mm-hmm. maybe even during seasons using traditional methods. Uh, yeah. And now it's, it's interesting to think that now the guy that's, you know, baiting deer longer, or putting out mineral licks. I mean, we can't put mineral licks out here anymore, mm-hmm. which, you know, it'd be interesting to see how compliant people really are to that because right. I don't know that they are. Right. And, and you know, along those same lines, and we talk about the strategies that our agency is implementing, we've got a phenomenal group of men and women in our wildlife management division that have spent almost a career's worth of their work in dedicated towards CWD and spread of infectious disease and things like that in cervids alone. We started seeing seven or eight years ago, about the time that I was transitioning out of the River Valley into Northwest Arkansas, this intent on behalf of these hunters that were harvesting cervids from out of state, bringing their unprocessed, whole-bodied cervids, deer, elk, Etc. 
yeah. across state lines into Arkansas. And so, you know, that opened up a whole nother avenue of regulation that we were prepared for as an agency. We knew it was coming, but we just didn't expect it to happen at the rate that it probably did. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget uh, seven or eight years ago, I was working in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and it was my one of my days I was working uh, in Crawford County, which is just north of there. And I get a call from our radio room dispatch, which is based in central Arkansas. They say, uh, Officer Fletcher, we've got an individual. They're on I-40 eastbound in Oklahoma. Is there any way we can patch them through to you? And I said, sure, not a problem. And so through a series of things, they forwarded the call to me, and I'm talking to a subject, and he tells me he lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he'd been out in Oklahoma City working all week, and he says, I'm behind a truck bed of deer horns, and they're headed towards the state line. And I knew in that moment that things were about to get real interesting for the wildlife officer in Arkansas when we start dealing with this type of activity. Mm. And so you ask yourself, is that a new era of poaching as well? Mm. I mean, is it or is it not? You know, we deal with that. You know, those are, that's our reality that our officers are now challenged with. Well, I mean, CWD, that can take more deer out than I could with a spotlight. Yep. You know, for sure. So I. Is that a confession? That's what I was curious about. How many deer have you taken out with a spotlight? Wow. Why, it's always back to that with you, Good Misty. Job. Misty and I were on the same Y'all channel. Are back to that again. Yeah. Who's Clay's trying to get? Who's got Clay's trying to get the focus off of him on someone else? Everybody right that's got a ticket here, raise no, their hand. No, that's a good point. Great point, Brent. Yeah. Continue. Well, I was born in Warren, Arkansas. Oh, you're done. You're oh, done yeah. with that statement. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. No, that, and that's that's just it. That. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff is, no, but is way more detrimental is that, to the resource. Sure, it could than, be, could be. Whether sure. those deer were legally taken or not, if, if they're coming across and they're not packaged the way the regulation states to keep C- CWD out of Arkansas, I mean that's man, that's throwing the monkeypox out there. Hmm. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows how bad it could be? Yeah. Do you think that someone could do what did? Did you, you may not have heard the podcast about Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards, and they killed like how many turkey every year? Seven or eight million. <laughs> they, I mean, and, but this was like 20, 30 years ago. Do you think someone could do that today? They were very vocal about it. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. You know, I think probably with the advancements in technology and the way that our SIU teams work, the wildlife officers that are that are trained to work either in an undercover capacity or work exclusively with social media presence, mm-hmm. you know, cause we, we do have to operate that way. You really? Know? So you got people that Abs- are monitoring social media. Absolutely. I would, I would say probably, you know, a majority of the conservation law enforcement agencies across the United States probably operate in some yeah. capacity that way. But, you know, I would, I would say that it would probably be real difficult Mm-hmm. to expose that type of activity if those individuals had a small network of friends that weren't tied into some kind of social media presence. Mm-hmm. they hard did, to hide it. Absolutely. It? Yeah. They, they wouldn't need to be glorified by what they had done. You know, I, I mean, hearsay used to be the way that we started investigations and we built these phenomenal cases. 
But today, it's almost like the burden of proof or whatever probable cause has kind of been elevated to the point of we need some kind of physical evidence or something that puts someone in a certain capacity. So years ago, to see a, that a it hot could tip would have been like, hey, he killed Man, let's hit the ground turkey. and run with it. And that would have Absol- been big. Absolutely. And now it's like, absolutely. Well, I need more than just hearsay. Yeah. It's hmm. and and we make a lot of great cases. Don't get me wrong, as a as an agency and as a division, just based off of word of mouth and and our our um, our Watts hotline. We have a hotline here in the state of Arkansas that people can call in, and if they give us information that turns into a successful prosecution, uh, we split the fine money with them. Just like director, oh, really? yes, sir. Just like director Booth uh, mentioned last week, you know, none of our fine money stays within our agency. Think thanks to Amendment 75 in 1987 when it was passed, and this one-eighth of one percent of the general sales tax use in the state of Arkansas goes to conservation. Forty-five percent of that number goes to the Arkansas Game Fish Commission. And so we have these type of programs in place to where we can allocate Mm -hmm. some of those fine monies to keep that word of mouth, to keep that hearsay live in how we do our business. Absolutely, and it leads to some phenomenal cases and work done by our men and women every day Mm. um this is kind of off topic but just being in law enforcement like you have for as long as you have what's the what's the wildest situation you've ever found yourself in (laughs) like just uh like dangerous (laughs) uh if you have if you that you could share with us so i'll i'll just tell you by, by by affiliation the first six or seven years of my career, I was stationed at um, Fort Chaffee was a big part. I, I consider myself being stationed there because four and a half days of my work week, I could spend out there and do the work of the game and fish and have a lot of opportunities for contacts with individuals. Big part of that area is uh, of the 40,000 plus surface ki- cleared area acres of Fort Chaffee is an area known as the impact area. And mm-hmm. it and I can tell you it in itself is extremely dangerous because you have <laughs> it's not surface cleared, meaning meaning when Fort Chaffee was a very active military installation and still it is let's, to this day. Let's describe because we're sure. talking to people outside of Arkansas. Sorry. We all know what yeah, Chaffee sure, is. Sure. Chaffee is a military base. Sure. Forty forty thousand acres. Forty thousand surface cleared acres is what is how I describe it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got an additional Gosh, I don't know, five, seven, eight thousand acres of this uncleared ground, meaning meaning when the military's in there doing their training, you have crews that go behind those groups and troops and platoons and they clear those ranges, it's active ranges like live shooting at big targets and munitions okay. and you know, the the A ten tank killers, as I've got okay. gotten to know them over the years, they had a range out there called the Razorback Range, and they would do all their drops in this impact area mm. to simulate their trainings that they were doing in Afghanistan, live, okay. live uh, military and wartime and, stuff. And so this this so, place is a is a public hunting area. It's, absolutely, you can't just walk in there. You got to take a class, and there's, there's ways you got to hunt. But it's it's well known around here. Yes, sir. So tell us so, about Fort Chaff. So. I'll just tell you that in itself, anytime I had to go into the impact area alone, you know, you were kind of playing with fire because you didn't know what to expect. So you could step on a live shell? Or is that, is that you, the, you, some of the ordinance doesn't the ordinance, explode. That's correct. Some of them have not exploded. And sometimes they'll randomly explode yeah. after being in the ground for 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So the the thing about it is 
is the impact area of Fort Chaffee garnered attention starting about 25, 30 years ago from a certain segment of the outlaw poacher. Mm. And these individuals would jeopardize their own lives, whether they knew or did not know that there was a live fire in progress or a training in progress, mm. all in the name of harvesting a world-class Boone and Crockett type deer that the impact area has so been glorified known to have. Mm. And in my career there, I saw kind of the last remaining, you know, world-class Boone and Crockett type deer of Chaffee. Cause I saw it kind of decline mm. over the six or seven years that I was there. But, but one situation in particular, we get a tip of an individual that uh, had crossed over a road, a county road on the Sebastian County line and the Franklin County line um, on that borders the far eastern side of Fort Chaffee. And they had jumped the fence in camo and a rifle. And that's all we had to work on. And so I had a partner at the time, and, and we've got a K-9 team that, gosh, we're super proud of. These, these men and women from all over the state, they dedicate – a large part of their career to these service dogs and what they're trained to do. Yeah. And so I got the call from our radio room because it came in anonymously and this individual was seen crossing this fence. So we had a last known location, but we knew they were going into the impact area. Well, you know, what does 10,000 plus acres look like <laughs> in this impact area? I mean, it is, it is forever. It's, you yeah. know, and so I pick up the phone and I call my partner at the time and I say, Hey, can you bring the dog? Here's what I got. And it might lead to something because man, I'm telling you as a wildlife officer in Sebastian County, Arkansas, and my primary job description is to catch poachers and outlaws crossing into the impact area. If I didn't catch this guy, <laughs> I was going to, you know, deface the name of all those game wardens. <laughs> Just that, turn in your badge, man. Absolutely, badge. that had come before me. Yeah. And so, I mean, we took it to heart, and mm. we sacrificed a lot to catch these guys. A lot of them we never caught, but this night was different. So my partner arrives there, and I meet him at the place where this individual who was on their way home from work had reported this guy in camo cross the fence. And, and I knew through my limited training of working with a canine handler that, you know, I didn't need to contaminate this scene. Okay, I'm going to do what I'm sure. famous for. I'm an old coon hunter. Uh -huh. So is Brent. There is a law that is unbreakable in coon hunting. And that is when you see a coon cross the road in front of your truck, if you just stop and turn your dogs out, you almost never tree that coon. Never. And so what you do, and I want to see if this is what y'all did. Okay, sure. <laughs> you wait 20, 30 minutes, less than that, because no coon hunter has the patience to wait that long. But then you go, but you let the track, something happens and the scent settles and you go. Anyway, well, I just thought of that when they said yeah. they saw a guy cross the road, they're bringing yeah. a dog. I'm thinking, if you turn it out quick, you're not going to catch him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, he also didn't want to contaminate it with human scent. It, I know, I know. I'm absolutely. sorry. Go ahead. So, go ahead. So it. 30 minutes had passed, let's say, okay, right? Good. So, so exactly. He, yeah. he knows. He's all right. You're right. So <laughs> no wonder you made Lieutenant. Partner gets there at the time and uh, he dumps the dog out and the dog, you know, starts doing their crazy back and forth, back and forth, kind of reining in that scent. 
And then all of a sudden, man, there the two of them go, and they're over this fence, and they're tracking this guy. Are y'all worried about being in the impact zone? I'm always worried about it. To this day, tell the chaffy folks. Yeah, so so we would like, call. Don't, don't shoot any tanks sure, down in there. We we would always even in areas that were closed to general public that may not be live fire or active or anything like that. We would we had protocol. We would call range control. Okay, and they always had that facility staffed and we would let them know hey we're we're down range of range 88 or whatever the range number was are we good to work through this area give them the heads up but but you got to remember this is the impact area and we got to catch these guys yeah and so you know we're going as they say our high water right <laughs> and so we're going and so i i look up and, and my partner and this dog they're they're fading in the distance fast and so I'm like, man, what do I do? And and there's not much I can do at this point because I didn't want to go circle around this guy or or spook him or you know whatever. And so I go to this city down the road called Charleston, and it's probably three or four or five miles. And I just wait because my partner and I had worked together for so long, and it was not uncommon for me to dump him out of the truck and him just start walking and him to call me an hour later or seven hours later and say, Hey man, I'm on the other side of this range or I'm on the other side of this ridge. Can you come pick me up? That's not uncommon. So I knew what I, how, how comfortable I was with it. So I went to this little area in Charleston and I sat there outside of this convenience store and my phone rings about two hours after dark. And he says, man, I found this ghillie suit and I found this rifle. And it's at the base of this tree, and I'm four miles inside the impact area or some wow. crazy number, right? Wow. So the dog did their job. And so – But no man. No man. So they stop there. He photographs evidence or whatever he needed to do, and the dog takes off. And they track this guy all the way out the other end of the impact area, which is on the far eastern boundary – of Fort Chaffee, which is probably another three miles to the highway. And then they get to a car wash, which is about another mile up a paved road. And there this guy sat, and he had parked his car under this car wash, which is five or six miles from even touching Fort Chaffee at this point. That was his intent That's that commitment day. there. Absolutely. So he was walking on blacktop roads? Yes. Wow. So he popped out of Chaffee and then walked on and blacktop then, and roads. Then walked. And then walked. And then dog was to go able to trail in. him that far. And and the car wow. wash, what I didn't tell you, is the car wash that he was sitting in that car <laughs> Here in we go. was about Rebus 150 <laughs> yards from where I was sitting. No way. Wow. Right under cool. my nose. <laughs> right under my nose. Wow. It was a car he had changed his clothes, stuffed them in a backpack, and when we and when we caught up with the guy, which my partner did, you know, I was sitting there almost about to eat dinner at this point, yeah. and he's like, "I got this guy. He's he's scared to death. He's sitting here," and he said, "You know, when we got him to talk, it's one of those situations where he was just like, man, I didn't know if y'all were ever going to catch me because I've been doing this for about seven or eight years.' Oh my gosh, <laughs> y'all had him surrounded that night. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> Time was on our side. Yeah. No wow, doubt. that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, that's that's the dog saved the day. Yeah, yeah. those those kind I'm of glad situations. You waited Thirty minutes. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. I mean, you yeah, know, good call. Those, yeah. those kind of situations can be a little 
dangerous, intimidating yeah, at yeah. times. Yeah. Even for a skilled canine Sheesh. handler and a sure. You know, because it's that unknown. Yeah. That's the our guys and gals that, that do this every day, that's the world that they walk into. Would that dog uh would he is he trained to apprehend someone? No, no bite. He that's just a trailing. Correct. Dog. Correct. What kind of dog was it? A Labrador. Mo- oh, really? Yeah. Oh, all wow. of our, all of our canines are Labrador. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or wanted a tennis ball. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Waiting for him to throw balls? a tennis ball down. Are all yeah. the dogs trained to to no bite? Or are they Correct. all no bite trained? Correct. Okay. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Is that, it- is, that is wild. Hmm. That's wild. That's the officer's job to bite. <laughs> <laughs> is, mm. is it the same for canines in like a, you know, the ones they have up here? At the police station? Well, the, the, some of them. Those well, German some of the law enforcement dogs mm-hmm. are definitely trained to, to apprehend really? people. You know, I mean, attack them, basically. Hold, restrain them. They would never uh, need to do that with me. I'd just be like, <laughs> sold. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> My um, Great Danes are trained to knock down and lick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Do you guys have anything that y'all would like to confess to Lieutenant Fletcher <laughs> before we close? I, there was a time I did not get a ticket for it. Oh, but I was but just I kidding, did, Josh. <laughs> I did go fishing, and at the end of the day, looked at my license, and it was three days. Boring. Wow. So I just confessed that. I just wanted to get on board with you too, Clay. We'll pray. We'll <laughs> pray for you later. So in that, in light of that, not in light of that, mm-hmm. but how much, how much time would you guys spend? On game versus fish. Do you have officers that are specifically assigned to game and some to fish? No. In, in the state of Arkansas, it's it's based on season. Okay. Uh, a lot of times our seasons will overlap. Uh, like in the heat of the summer, for example, our, our primary responsibility right now is water safety and water mm-hmm. patrol and compliance on our waterways, trying to keep people from running into each other or having serious accidents on the waterway. Transitioning into the fall – dove season bow season opens up and then we roll right into it seems like every single weekend through the first of december there's something else coming at us duck season deer whatever and so we vary our workload based on the seasonal stuff when you talk specifically about fishing just like i mentioned earlier you know fish are a finite resource and so we try to explain that to our officers out in the field is we really in the spring when the crappie are spawning and the bass are starting to become active and the walleye are running up the rivers is, is we really have to protect that resource in that moment. And sometimes it overlaps into turkey season like it does here in the northern band of the Ozarks mm-hmm. and the White River chain of lakes and, and those things. So, so we just kind of go where the activity is and we know sure. when we need to be out there. Catch mm-hmm. and release. Yeah. Hashtag keep them wet. Yeah. Keep them wet. Um, did, did, uh, did your time with agency overlap with Joel Campora? It did. Did you? Yeah. So I went to high school with Joe Campora. He was one year younger than me. Yeah. Just talking about talking about water safety made me think about yeah. Joel. I wrote a story about Joel right after that happened. Joel Campora was uh he was killed in well it was twenty twenty thirteen. Yeah. I think June. It was 20, in May. Late May. May. Yeah. Yep. May the twenty ninth. Yep. Uh, just thinking about the responsibilities that these guys mm-hmm. have, um, I, I'll tell the story as I as I remember it. Sure. But there was a flood in um, Albert Scott Pike, County. Wasn't it? No, it wasn't Albert Wicks. Pike. That was a different one. There was a flood Not in Wicks. Scott County, 
Okay. Y City. And, uh, y City. Mm-hmm. I guess Joel was where was based out of Waldron at that time. <laughs> and uh, big flood, and there was a, a house that was being flooded, and there were some, as I remember the story being told, there was some er- elderly ladies that lived in this house, and they called, and water was coming up in the house. And then just talking about chain of command and, like, when you guys might be called, um, yeah, Joel was called along with the, the sheriff, Cody Carpenter of Scott County. And so the Ga- Arkansas Game and Fish Game Warden and Cody Carpenter went and, and using a Game and Fish boat went to make a water rescue with, uh, with these, was it two ladies? Correct. Yep. In the too. black, it was in the black of night too, wasn't it? It was black terrible and night, flooding, yeah, pouring rain, and they ride out in the water to this house. And I mean, you know, it's fast moving water, and you know, no one knows the details, but they go in the house and the house collapses. Yeah, and uh, but it's 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 I mean, no telling what kind of calls you guys are going to get and 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 ev- they all perished yeah and it was uh it was a real it was a real moving deal there's a there's a part of that highway now i'd see it every time i drive to mina and every single time i drive to mina no matter who's with me i tell them about joel camport my kids know all about it but there's a section of the highway that's the cody carpenter section and the joel campora memorial section but uh both of those guys passed away and the ladies yeah. did too but uh, two longest days of my life. Mm-hmm. Were you? Were you did, I was were, there. You yeah. were there. Yeah. Man, darn. still rough to talk about today, but uh, uh, yeah. And I tell you, we have got a lot of uh, great men and women yeah. that surround us every day in law enforcement and as wildlife officers. And you know, we always say when conditions are at their worst, we're at our best. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one yeah. of our mottos. And, yeah. and they were certainly at that at their mm-hmm. worst. For yeah. those two or three days around that, and yeah. and you definitely saw, definitely saw the best in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through all How that many, adversity, there were, I mean, like hunt, a couple hundred people there sure. from other law enforcement Absolutely. agencies, other states, because yeah. they couldn't, they couldn't find, they couldn't find them. Yeah, yeah, Fast I think moving water. I, I, if I remember correctly, and you know, I probably need to pay closer attention to it because I was so involved in it. But yeah, almost. You're almost 10 years removed from it now, mm-hmm. next year. You know, there were so many moving parts, but that is one thing. We talk about pride in your coworkers and what, what we know and how we know to operate is we all as wildlife officers plugged in in that mm-hmm. moment because we knew what our capabilities were and we knew how we assisted agencies when it came to critical incidents and, you know, overcoming these dire times and dire periods of adversity and so we all just jumped in that first day and it was kind of a chicken with your head cut off movement but we didn't didn't really have a calculated response and and by the time we got our people in there by the end of that first day and we had this calculated effort on how we were going to proceed it was the very next morning we found Cody Carpenter and then the following morning we recovered Joel's body and uh Man, I tell you, it's almost just like, you know, you look at it for the last 10 years of reflection and you think about all the training and the trials and tribulations that we go through Mm -hmm. and the commitment and the sacrifices that we make for this career, this line of work. 
it's almost like we were molded for that particular experience mm. to have occurred. We could endure it and see it through the other side. Mm. Extremely sad situation. Any mm. way you look at it, people lost their yeah. lives. Friends lost their lives. But I, <laughs> I do this job today because of those men and women mm-hmm. that carried that torch with us mm. through that whole deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it is at the root of who I am. They live yeah. forever, basically, I, in your agency. I would think absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely, yeah, hundred mm. percent. You know, I think I think the what I remember the game and fish really took great care of Joel's mm-hmm. Joel's widow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rebecca. Yeah. And, and, and still do. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, that, that spoke a lot to me. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, you see that and you can speak to this in the, in the law enforcement community, regardless of what segment you're in, you know, you, you go to work for these agencies, you go to work for these departments and they talk about this, brotherhood and we're all a family and i can assure you with certainty that the arkansas game fish commission wildlife officers and their families are a family i mean we couldn't do it without it you know we have flexible work schedules we don't have shifts and when the phone rings at 3 30 in the morning like it did that morning that brian mm-hmm. bailey called me on the phone saying i need help you you answer the call you don't have backup Yep. And so it mm. takes that person on the other side of the bed of you. You have to have their support, you know, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It takes yeah, a family and our agency recognizes that. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, That's we great. sure, we sure appreciate the work that you guys do. Yeah. 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 We are very grateful yeah. for Thank it you. and grateful for your service and yeah. mm-hmm. sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Well, Thanks so much for coming up today. Yeah, it's absolutely. been great. Absolutely. It really has. Yeah. I, I've I tell you, I've uh so this this ends in basically an eight week period where we were talking about something to do with the law. Mm-hmm. And uh we're moving on. Finally. Uh yeah. <laughs> Brent's ready to talk Let's about talk something. about squirrels. There we go. <laughs> I'm tired of glorifying outlaws all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Poacher lovers. Just kidding. And I can't even defend them anymore. (laughs) No. no. (laughs) But uh, yeah. So anyway, this this is a great this is a great way to end it. We appreciate you coming up for sure. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yep. Glad to be here. All right. That's a wrap, guys. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems. 
on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order.